Thank you for joining us for this episode of the IPI Policy Basics Podcast. Today's topic is prescription drug importation. We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. With our IPI Policy Basics Podcast, we seek to build an audio library of podcasts on basic policy concepts and topics for those who want to learn and understand how to think about policy or who need to get up to speed on a particular issue. And so today, our resident scholar, Dr. Merrill Matthews, is going to talk with us about prescription drug importation. Tom, after a 15-year hiatus, the effort to legalize even encourage the importation of prescription drugs has moved back to the public policy front burner with bipartisan support. Donald Trump is president, Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar, numerous politicians at all levels, and mostly left-leaning advocacy groups are backing the change. But importing prescription drugs from Canada or other countries is no safer today than it was a decade or 15 or 20 years ago when several states created illegal importation schemes, uh, virtually all of which eventually shut down due to lack of interest. And what's really made this relevant now is the state of Florida. Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, with zero prescription drug handling experience, Uh, assured Floridians that prescription drugs imported from Canada would be safe, effective, and most importantly, from a political standpoint, cheaper. He he waived $30 million recently. He put up $30 million to try to encourage um, various companies to come and start an importation program there for the state of Florida. And it was reported just, uh, just a month or so ago that it got zero participants. No company was willing to take $30 million to start an importation scheme in Florida. You know, it's a reminder that it it takes two to tango, right? (laughs) You've got to have somebody on both sides of that transaction. One of the things that I don't really understand is why a country like Canada would want their drugs to go <laughs> to the United States. I mean, don't they have an incentive to reserve their drugs for Canadians? Uh, they do have that incentive, and they've been they've voiced their opposition to doing this because Canada is a tenth the size of the U.S., and they don't have enough prescription drugs to be able to try to fill U.S. demands for that. So they've actually pushed back on it. Uh, so the Secretary of HHS, Health and Human Services, he is the one who sort of supposed supposed to police this whole thing and yet he has come up and and was willing to do that now federal law gives the hhs secretary the power to approve the importation of prescription drugs from foreign uh, sources as long as the secretary certifies that the imported drugs are going to be safe until now until secretary azar no secretary, Republican or Democrat, exercised that power. Indeed, several took a public stance against such, such actions. Uh, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration commissioners have been very vocal. This is not a good thing to do. And I'll just give you some examples. Secretary Donna Shalala, under, um, uh, under Bill Clinton, 
Uh, she claimed, I'm quoting, flaws and loopholes make it impossible for me to demonstrate if imported drugs would be safe or cost effective. Se- Secretary Tommy Thompson under George W. Bush. I'm quoting again. It's impossible for us to certify that these drugs are safe. Uh, it's been for every Republican or Democrat uh, for the last 20 or 30 years has said there's just simply no way we can certify that. But um, uh, Representative, uh, Secretary Azar has come up and is, said he will certify that's done. That can be done. And I think he's being that's being from, coming from pressure from uh, from Donald Trump to try to make sure that he can get the prescription drug importation scheme going. Uh, now, the Canadian government contracts with drug manufacturers to supply the country with their prescription drug with the citizens for the citizens it uh, for the drugs that the citizens need. But Canada, as I said, has just one tenth of the population. So it's just there's just not enough drugs there. There's this there's this idea of a supply chain right in any business where you have products that move from manufacturer to distributor to retailer to end user. And in the U.S., the FDA polices that supply chain, right? And, right? and everybody along the lines of that supply chain has legal liability to the U.S. government to make sure that they follow the law and regulations uh, to make sure that the pills you're putting in your mouth or injecting into your veins are exactly what the manufacturer created and designed. It's not at all clear to me how the U.S. <laughs> FDA can police the supply chain of another country. <clears throat> and they can. Uh, and I'll just give you an example here. Betty Hunter. Betty Hunter lived in Arizona. She would likely disagree with uh, Governor DeSantis that other importation uh, and other importation advocates that she would be safe because she's no longer alive. She died in 2011 because her doctor gave her a fake prescription drug imported from Canada. Now, Hunter's family told Arizona's ABC 15, and I'm quoting, they, that is the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, came out and told us that the oncologist had purchased counterfeit drugs and administered them to our mom. Now, Hunter had lung cancer and was supposed to be receiving uh, Avastin, a biologic administered by infusion. Instead, the FDA uh, said Hunter's oncologist gave her, and I'm quoting again, a mix of mold and water. FDA investigators determined the provider, CanadaDrugs.com, sold fake drugs to Hunter and others. And after reaching a plea deal with the FDA, CanadaDrugs.com shut down a, a couple of years ago. The oncologist was never charged, but the family thinks as a medical professional, she should have known better, and so should politicians, but apparently many don't. You know, that story you know, provokes really two thoughts with me. Number one is just because a website says it's from Canada. CanadaDrugs.com. Right, and has a maple leaf flag waving at the right. top of the website doesn't mean they're actually coming from Canada, you know. And then the other thought is, you know, the whole driver behind importation is because drugs can be expensive. Mm-hmm. But when you have something like a drug that can be expensive, that is also an incentive to counterfeiters. I mean, we know that anytime something is expensive... Anything, anytime something is sort of restricted by government, that creates an incentive for counterfeiters actually to get involved in the business. And so we know that counterfeiting is a huge, 
huge problem. And, and of course, the most expensive drugs these days tend to be the biologics, and they're the ones that have to be handled so carefully. Now, Florida says it's going to exclude biologics from its importation scheme. Okay, well, that, that helps a little bit there, but those also tend to be the most expensive drugs. If you're sort of removing this down to basically generics, because 90% of the prescriptions in the U.S. are generics, most of those, the vast majority of people are paying a copay of $10, $15, $20. And in many cases, I know when I go and pick up a generic with my insurance, I get it free. I don't have to pay anything out of pocket. Uh, so it, it, it's it's strange that they're trying to do this, but it's not the first try. Back in the mid-2000s, seven states and two cities tried a similar approach by creating a, a or joining some type of importation program, uh, often by setting up websites linked to alleged Canadian pharmacies. Uh, now they abandoned that effort within a few years because the high cost of drug of the high cost of trying to manage this thing, and especially because almost nobody was using it. Plus, Medicare Part D was passed in 2003. It went into effect in 2006. And so uh, the vast majority of seniors these days have prescription drug coverage. Now, some local governments uh, continue trying to help their government employees, their their state or city employees, uh, buy from Canada, Great Britain, or Australia. Uh, And so there's been some efforts to do that, but even those have not been very effective. Now, the reason it's a problem is the FDA regulates all U.S. prescription drug approvals, manufacturing, and sales. So no drug shipped into the U.S. is legal apart from an FDA-approved chain of custody, which includes FDA-approved facilities in other countries. Drugs imported from Canada or other countries bypass those channels and are thus illegal, and that's why it's a problem. You know, you mentioned Medicare Part D. I think. Do I have that right? Medicare Part D. Medicare Part D. And you also mentioned that biologics generally are not covered by these kinds of importation schemes. Mm -hmm. So I have to wonder just politically if this isn't almost just like a false issue. I mean, you know, we were hearing 10, 15 years ago about the problem of how expensive drugs are. But in the intervening time, we've had Medicare Part D. Right. We've had some of those drugs move to generics. And I had the same experience that you do. I mean, in my family... You know, my entire family all together, there's probably eight or ten prescription drugs that we all take. And it seems to me most of the time when I pick them up, it's a it's a ten dollar copay or they're free. And there's been another change. The Affordable Care Act, what we call Obamacare, passed in 2010, went into effect 2014. And that requires uh, any any qualified insurance company to have drug coverage uh, in the in the coverage. So uh, you had some people. Now, some people got Obamacare that forced some people out of Obamacare. But you do have an awful lot of people who were lower income and couldn't afford insurance who are getting subsidies. So they now have coverage under the Affordable Care Act and they have prescription drug coverage in that. So uh, we've managed to make sure that uh, the vast majority of people have prescription drug coverage. So it, 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 there's a question as to why this is really a need. But one of the things that they that we noticed back then, to some extent still, is people traveling to Canada. People that one of the things they would say is we've got people Americans going to Canada to buy their prescription drugs and co- and bringing them back. Well, what about that? Well, it's still illegal to go to Canada and buy your drugs and then bring them back into the U.S. But the FDA has, by and large, said we're, they're just we're just not going to prosecute them. We're not going to enforce that. If you're going to Canada, uh, crossing the the uh, 
border and getting your drugs from a uh, from a brick and mortar pharmacy there and you're bringing back enough for personal use they're just going to let that pass and i would argue that for the most part if you're going to a pharmacy in canada that's approved under the canadian system uh you've got your those are going to be safe drugs they're not going to be imported you're fine being able to do that but there's a small percentage of people who can cross the border and go to canada and do that there's a there's a big difference between driving into canada walking into a pharmacy and buying a drug or doing a transaction over the internet right and, right? and, and you know a lot of a lot of people are listening to this were probably traveling at some point maybe in a foreign country in germany england france or something of that nature ended up needing a prescription drug we're going went into those pharmacies there perfectly safe not worried about that at all the concern is those who say we're shipping these drugs in we're from quote Canada, and so you're going to be getting a safe drug from Canada. But if you're ordering this over the internet, you just absolutely have no idea whether that's actually coming from Canada. So you know, we were talking a minute ago about like counterfeit drugs, right? Mm-hmm. But even within counterfeit, there's lots of different things, right? There's contaminated drugs. There's completely fake drugs. There's drugs that have been diluted down. So I mean, what's the difference between like a a fake drug or a or a counterfeit drug or just a d- contaminated drug? It's a good question because this, the the statement is usually made. The assertion is these are the exact same drugs that you could buy at the pharmacy in the United States that you're importing from other countries. And in fact, there may be some that are the same drugs, but they may have been compromised. That is to say, they may have they may be old. Older, they may be out of date. Uh, they may, if they required refrigeration or something of that nature, there may not that may not have happened. That's why the chain of what we call the chain of custody is so important. So you may be getting an actual drug, but it may be compromised in some way, or it may be a fake drug. Tom, I have seen some of these presentations where they they hold up a, a Viagra pill. One of those are often used there, uh, a fake one and um, a, a real one, and then asking people. Which one's the which one's the real and which one's the fake? Sometimes the fake actually looks a little better <laughs> than the real one. People oftentimes don't know. And then in some cases, they use just fake ingredients there. All they need to do is press a pill, make it that right color. So you may not be getting the ingredient, or you may be actually be getting a lower dose of the ingredient than you thought you were getting when you were ordering it. So there's a number of different problems that come when you're trying to do this. It could be faked. It could be compromised. It could be a different dose. And all of those have a major uh, implications for a patient's health if they absolutely need this drug. And this all goes back to that whole chain of custody and supply side or, or supply chain kind of an issue. And, you know, we're recording this podcast right now, you know, in the midst of the COVID-19 epidemic in right. 2020. And we are right on the cusp. We've just gotten really good news that that at least two companies, Pfizer and Moderna, have what appear to be very successful vaccines. And so we're, we're just on the cusp of the whole issue of how those things are rolled out. But, you know, if you're going to have something injected into your bloodstream like that, you want to know that it's actually the thing that the drug company designed <laughs> and tested, right? As opposed to something that, you know, that you ordered mail order. And for all you know, there's a there's a 
Canadian maple leaf flag on the website, but it's actually coming from the Philippines. And and that's a good, important point, because Pfizer's drug, you're going to get two doses of that vaccine. The second one, as I understand it, they have to keep it at z- sub-zero temperatures to a right before it's used, and in the neighborhood of something like 30 degrees below zero. So Pfizer had to actually come up with something that they could put these drugs in. So uh, areas, countries, states are looking to make sure they have the refrigeration that will meet that need. But you can imagine if you're going to India or some of those places where it's a real problem getting some of that kind of thing, uh, the compromised drugs could end up being a real problem. So here's one of those specific cases where we know that it has to be handled exactly right or you lose a whole lot of the potency from it. But can uh, can a government guarantee that these drugs are being um, uh, maintained and preserved. Can Governor DeSantis in Florida do that? Well, he doesn't have the experience to do that. The officials in Florida don't have the experience to do that. The FDA says they can't do that. And furthermore, they don't have the right, the governor of Florida doesn't have the right to go up to Canada uh, go through those, their systems, go through their uh, storehouses and so forth, and make sure all those things are being uh, maintained. And if they aren't doing it, somehow they'll punish them for doing it. So the notion that you can maintain that or that the governor can assure you that these are going to be safe is just absolutely uh, false. So if if the FDA can't do it and states can't do it, who can do it? And that's the problem we get to. It sounds like uh, it sounds like on drug importation, President Trump and Governor DeSantis of Florida have thrown a party, but nobody has come. (laughs) Right. So far, nobody's come. And that's been the history of this is as the states have put these together in the past, they just really did not get much participation at all. Uh, And as we said, there's really no need for importation these days because you've got the vast majority of people have prescription drug coverage, either through Medicare or through health insurance. Most of the drug companies are willing to make sure that if you're very low income, come and you don't have access to this, you will have you will be able to get in. Of course, Medicaid also provides drug coverage. So the vast majority of people are um, are covered for this. And so it's it's really been done such that we've met most of the needs. So this is really politically driven rather than something that is being driven by human needs. You know, we at the Institute for Policy Innovation are big believers in markets and incentives. And if you're dangling $30 million out there and no one salutes, <laughs> it suggests maybe there isn't a problem in the first place to deal with, right? Or or that the problem has been exaggerated. And this sort of goes to my suspicion that this whole, this whole issue of, oh, prescription drugs are so expensive – I just wonder if that hasn't just become political rhetoric rather than an actual real problem on the ground. Well, of course, prescription drugs can be expensive, especially some of the newest drugs that come out and some of the cutting edge drugs. Now, ironically, uh, the way Obamacare is done, even though it provides coverage for prescription drugs because it made health insurance so expensive, the insurers have tried to look for ways to try to make sure that they can uh, uh, that they can try to keep the price of their premiums down. And so they've created these various tiers in prescription drugs. So if you get a if you get a generic, it may be free. If you get a brand name drug, it may be a twenty five or fifty dollar copay. But if you're giving getting some of these most expensive drugs, the ones that people 
people need life-saving drugs for cancer and other things, they may be a, 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 a co-insurance. You may have to pay 20%, 30%, or 40% of that in order to be able to get the drug. That can be fairly expensive. So the irony is that Obamacare has made things that are cheap, uh, generic drugs, free for, for mm-hmm. most people, but made the most extensive, expensive stuff expensive in some cases, sort of reversing the real role of insurance, which is supposed to help us for the most expensive things. Right. But the biologics are the ones that you'd least likely want to try to import because uh, of the ability to be able to make sure that these are maintained correctly, not compromised or something in that that nature. So there is an issue here, but large uh, some of that has been created by the Affordable Care Act itself. You know, Dr. Matthews, every time we record one of these Policy Basic podcasts, we end up with two or three more topics that we need to cover. <laughs> and uh, one of them is this idea somehow that, yes, we spend a lot of money on prescription drugs and health care, but that's exactly the sort of thing you would expect a wealthy society to do, right, is to spend more money on health care and prescription drugs uh, because we don't live at a subsistence level any longer. And absolutely, if, if, you can, if I can spend some money on a drug and keep me out of the hospital, if somebody can spend some money on the drug and they don't have to go in there before diabetes or they don't have to go to the hospital, if, if we could do something where a pre- prescription drug could keep us from having to get new implants, <laughs> new artificial joint implants yep. or something, it would save us a lot of money. Uh, I mentioned earlier that we're recording this Policy Basics podcast during the COVID-19 pandemic, and it appears that we have actually been successful in generating successful vaccine candidates in a relatively short amount of time, 10 months, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just record a re- time. Yeah, record, record time. time. And it's a reminder to me that, you know, that industry gets so beat up in politics for, you know, the cost of drugs and things like that. But, uh, boy, everybody is the champion of the prescription drug industry when, when the world needs a cure. And I have to think if I were, if I were a victim of some other health care ailment, if I wouldn't be wondering, gosh, uh, if we made a priority out of my particular condition, I wonder if we could have cured it in 10 months, or I wonder if we could have come up with a, with a cure to that in 10 months. And, you know, what's interesting about that is it's the drug company's ability to be able to charge a price, take that money that goes into their capital stock. They have that money available. They didn't have to wait for the government to put money behind this. The drug company started back in January looking for a cure for this as they started very early. But they're funneling their own funds into this because they have the excess capital to be able to do that. That's a direct response of them being able to charge a reasonable fee for for the drugs. Well, I'm sure down the road we'll need to do a policy basics podcast on things like patents and the role mm-hmm. of patents mm-hmm. in incentivizing innovation like prescription drugs and things like that and a lot of other healthcare topics, but let's wrap that up today for our discussion of importation. You can find much more because it seems like we've been working on this issue for more than a decade. You can find much more on drug importation and other prescription drug issues at our website at ipi.org. So let me just thank Dr. Merrill Matthews for talking us through today this topic of prescription drug importation. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time. 